Okay, so Pushing Rubber Podcast episode 156, just in case any of you uh, weren't sure about that one. This is Adam Piggott, your host with the most, coming to you from somewhere in the Italian Alps. Um, and I have with me a special guest. Do I call you a special? We'll call him a special guest because he's special. He got the special bus to school. A guest with special thinking needs or something special like that. Special needs guest, uh, Tony Lowe, uh, who's come to visit me for a couple of days and I decided to put up with him. I don't, I normally, don't normally put up with anybody. Um, no, God teaches us all patience in the right time and measure. So. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, and so we're, we're here. It's not my place. It's a place. I'm kind of, I've commandeered it. We've got cold outside because mm-hmm. it finally got cold in the mountains. Yep. Uh, we got a wood stove going, which is also a, a, an actual cooking stove. So that's nice. Mm-hmm. We've got the big stew on top of the stove, which I've been mucking about with Simmering for an hour. Away, Simmering away. With beautiful aromas. Aromas, nothing better than aromas. We've got red wine, mm-hmm. Italian red wine, with a real cork in the bottle, mm-hmm. not a screw cap. Yep. Uh, we've Well, I'm smoking cigarettes, and you're smoking gay sweet cigarellos? Cigarillos. I think they're gay sweet cigarellos, aren't they? Mm. Well... They make me feel cultured. And as we all know, the most important thing about this day and age is feeling things. Feelings. Feeling emotions. Right exactly. Yes. And because yeah. I'm feeling good about it, then what else is there? You know, mm. I feel like a brave, beautiful woman smoking these. So what else does a man need in the modern world? Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Very well said. Uh, so, Tony, uh, my, my regular listeners are probably wondering who the fuck is this guy mm-hmm. uh, and why is he on the infamous Pushing Rubber podcast, known throughout the whole world as, you know, only inviting guests of the calibre of, you know, Boris Johnson mm-hmm. and child molesters and all that sort of thing. Oh, you think about that, that poorly of me? Oh, I, I don't well, think. Go home now if you want me to, mate. Oh, sorry, mate. <laughs> uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't able to go. Don't. Don't, 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 we don't have to step outside. Uh, so <laughs> why don't, why don't you anyway. give the, why don't you give the, the audience, the crowd, a brief rundown? I'll be timing you, um, and just give us a background on, 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 why, on why you know you're worthy enough. You sitting here. Well, I suppose the first answer is that you're a man of charity in that respect. But you know, you and I know each other basically through Catholicism now, right? I suppose so. Uh, and we've, we've had a few chats about that in the past. And but I, I know up. a bunch of my readers through that, so we're not starting off on the right track. Mm, okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So come but, on. Okay, up so... Up your game. <laughs> I have also got a podcast. Okay, right? which is called... The TVC Podcast. Okay, the TVC stands for... My initials, Tony Verd and Christopher. Very deep. Yeah. Okay, yeah, very well, good. Like Straightforward. Yeah, yeah, good, yeah, good, good. Just good, on the good, nose, good, just how I like it. Yeah, I should have called very mine the ABRP Podcast, but I didn't, because mm. I, I didn't think that well. Keep going. <laughs> but um, that podcast is usually about... I mean, so, I'm a, I'm a young guy. I have my background kind of in philosophy, and I came through that. Well, I mean, let's mm. nail that down. You actually studied philosophy at a modern university. I stu- exactly, yeah. I studied philosophy at a modern university and realised the whole thing was absolute nonsensical wank. Yes, yes. The way. But so I you, still... You needed to go to university to understand, understand that. Understand that clearly because yeah. as a, a lost young man in this world, I, I was looking for truth in any place I thought I could find it. Uh, and university was an apparent bridge to that and turns out, no, not at all. So you've got not this podcast, come yeah. on. Uh, and that podcast is just born of like reflections that I've had on the different lessons that I've learned over the last few years in my build up to not only Catholicism, but uh-huh. just 
breaking through the fucking nonsense of the modern world well, that's and that kind of thing. Very profound. Thank you. Very profound. Very deep. Yeah. All very my girlfriends deep. tell me that just before they walk out of the room. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anything else you got up your uh, alley? Yeah. Well, as you know, I also made the Trivium series, which I know that you've watched and put to use. I have. I uh, and I also um, I um, I publicised that on my old website myself. Mm. Um, I think you got one click through. Oh, got at least two. Got at least yeah, two. Yeah, That's yeah, brilliant. Much better. Yeah, so thank you for that one reader for clicking on that twice. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah. Just because you made a mistake the first time. <laughs> um, so you did that, and you, you also worked with uh, Giuseppe Filotto, alias Akaya the Kurgan, yeah. on his TV series. Exactly. The, the, the Trivium was originally made, uh, the first place I put it after it was made on was on KTV, mm-hmm. or Kurgan TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also decided that, you know, listeners and they've got two options. Either they can subscribe to KTV and get it on there along with all the other stuff that Giuseppe is doing and some of the other stuff I've put on there mm-hmm. um, or I was hosting it on my own website if they wanted just to get it directly mm-hmm. um, which is a link through my book exactly exactly and you've written a couple of books Tell I have written that. a couple of books um, so I've got three books available at the moment uh, one of them is about an email conversation I actually had with a Novus Ordo priest about Sedi Vacantism okay uh, so basically we had a back and forth and uh, it was a it was a written debate basically. And after I'd had that debate, it was worth uh, reflecting on how that debate had gone and the in and outs of how it kind of transpired. Because not only is the debate interesting because it clashes the Sedi Vacantis position against the Novus Order position, but we both have skin in the game from the get-go. And you see that from the first couple of emails. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's two people who are not just trying to do it in a blasé fashion. But who got in touch with who first? All right, so it's a bit of a long story. So I'd, I'd already Make been... it the short version. Oh, okay. So um, I basically contacted him because he's a Novus Ordo priest who served the Latin Mass or who carried... So it's a, it's a Novus Ordo Mass with Latin words. I think it was actually... It was supposed to be the, the T, uh, TLM. Oh, it was a TLM. It was actually a TLM, yeah. Okay, it was a traditional Latin Ordo. Mass. Uh, now, my, okay. my SETI priest in the UK is based in Plymouth and so mm. was this guy. Mm. And I'd come to SETI Vacantism quite directly because I thought it all just made logical sense. It's sure. in the basic like principles of it. I thought, no, that just, that's obviously true. You passed go, you got your 200 Exactly, it went straight, straight forward. Through. But even when I came into the Catholic world, I was speaking to my study priest who lived in Plymouth and he was saying things like, well, we kind of have this idea of there being like traditionalists and Novus Ordos who are just completely modernists. And then we've got tr- like Novus Ordo who still do the Latin mass. And I was like, well, this always is a bit weird for me. So like, mm-hmm. I want to understand this. Yeah. Um, the long and the short- just, just without, Totally interrupting and, and keep your train of thought because there's nothing worse than listening to a podcast and someone's got a train of thought and then it never goes anywhere. Oh, I'll keep on doing that. I hate the word traditionalist mm-hmm. because what does it fucking mean? Yep. It doesn't mean anything. Does yeah, it mean exactly. 1950? Does yep. it mean 1850? Yep. Yep. Does it mean 1750? It's complete wank. But anyway. Yeah, and that's actually, that came out in the emails quite, quite quick, quickly. So the long and the short of it is that I eventually got this guy's email because he said, well, if there's anyone worth talking to about... Hang on, how were you communicating beforehand? Well, actually what happened was I wanted was to... Was like a Facebook friendy thing? No, it actually came through some girl who email I got first. Some who, girl? That, oh my <laughs> lord! No, no, because my, my, this this uh, young woman in question attends um, uh, like a meeting groups for um, against a, abortion. Okay. that people in my priest congregation also attend. So she was like a common link. She knew my Sedi priest right. and he had her email address. And you knew her? He knew her. Okay, but you... I didn't. 
know her. But okay. my priest basically said, look, if I know anyone in this TLM Novus Ordo congregation who could possibly answer your questions, it's this young woman. So I sent her an email asking, what's the crack for Latin mass? Why do you do that? I'm steady. And to her credit, she said, look, these are matters that can be, you know, questions of salvation if you get them wrong. So I don't want to be the one to give you those answers myself. Mm. She sounds like a stand-up girl. Yeah. Was she hot? Uh, I'm going to let that be. You're going to let it go through the yeah. keeper? Okay. Fair enough. Okay. Um, at, at heart, I'm, I'm still an 18-year-old. <laughs> Um, so I, I got her email address. She said, I don't want to answer these questions for you. Uh, I'd rather you speak to my priest about it. Mm. So that's how I got his email address. Mm-hmm. So I first messaged him saying, look, I got your email through this young woman. I am Sadie Vacantis, but I don't understand the difference between TLM and yeah. the Novus Ordo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And his first response was actually, look, we're not going to talk about the Latin mass. You're Sadie Vacantis. If you hold that position, you're going to hell. So we need to discuss this. And I thought, fair play. Fair play. Because so uh, 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 a traditional, in inverted commas, priest who does the TLM Mass thinks that someone who's SETI vacantist and follows also the traditional Latin Mass is going to hell. Because I hold the SETI position in particular, right? Wow. Which means that I reject his accepted hierarchy and what they recognize as the hierarchy of the church, right? Okay. So that's the whole point. Interesting, interesting. Um, so that's how we broke into the conversation. I didn't even know, as I said, that we were going to hell like this. I might have to pull out... I think I might have to renounce. You haven't read the small print, have you? I didn't read the small print. That's the whole point, apparently. Fuck! Yeah. Keep going. So, um, yeah, so I get this guy's email, and like I said, when we break into the conversation, firstly, we never actually talk about why he serves the traditional Latin mass. Like, that never gets brought up again. It just becomes a question of, well, you've apparently become not only Catholic, but SETI very quickly. And that's true. Like I became Catholic and moved to the SETI position almost within the space of a couple of months. Or I almost, I kind of became Catholic and SETI simultaneously. And that wasn't by accident. So his argument was, look, either you've just been told this by some deceptive priest, or you must have reached this syllogistically. Or... Oh, there's nothing worse than a suggestive priest. Yes. I'm sure there's plenty of choir boys who could tell you that. Oh, Oi. spicy. I was upset about that because I was one of the ones who never got molested. Were you not pretty enough? No. Well, apparently not. Thanks for bringing that up. You know? Uh, You wouldn't answer whether the girl was hot, but fine. We'll go on uh, my outward appearance. No, 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 no. It's just like everyone else got molested except for me. You know, at a certain point, you feel left out. Well, do you know what, Adam? You've got to just tell yourself you're worth it anyway. Thanks. I really felt this. Put your, put your blue hair dye in. I look really, at yourself in the mirror and think, I'm beautiful no matter what anyone I says. really felt the sincerity coming through there. You've got to love yourself, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no matter what. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, no matter how many nose rings you have, right? <laughs> now, how many tattoos on your asshole? Anyway, <laughs> go on. Um, so that, that's how the whole conversation starts. And, and the idea is that he says, look, either you've come through this through just some priest has told you or you've reached this logically somehow. But he said, that's basically, surely not. Surely not. Surely not. Horror of all horrors. But I think, look, to be fair to the guy, it, he's taking it seriously because this, it, this no, is like, a can, serious can you, conversation. Can we, can we whoosh, fast yep. forward yep. how it finished? Well, what you've got to understand is that he actually, it basically, he's like, almost like he set out a bunch of hoops for me to jump through. And right? you jump? And I jumped through all of the hoops. And I did all of the jumping so what very was... politely and very consistent. What was the outcome? Uh, he gave up, is the outcome. 
As in, he gave like, me he, all the so he gave me all the hoops to jump through. He's no longer a priest. Or? No, no, he just ignored. He, his last email to me was basically, look, the main problem of all this, Tony, is not your arguments or anything like that. It's that you're simply not docile to the church, and basically, you're not just accepting what I say because I'm a priest and you should listen to me. Ah, so you're not a victim. Exactly. You're not. You're not, you're not, you're not uh, just following me because I you, told you. You're not to. a supplicant. Exactly. Which my response to you was basically, well, you could be a fucking wolf in sheep's clothing for all I know. So why the hell would I? And in fact, the whole point of the conversation is, I'm a SETI because I believe you guys are wolves in sheep's clothing. So, right. So yada, yada, yada. did you publish his emails? Yeah. Did he know about that? No. <laughs> okay. Well, I think he does. But I never checked, to be quite frank, because I know that members of his congregation have read my book. Okay, and what, what was their feedback? Oh, uh, they thought it was completely on the money because they were already clocking onto the idea that he was very uh, authoritarian is the wrong word, but basically, like, my way or no way doesn't accept any kind of uh, uh, arguing back. And so when they saw me arguing back, they thought, yeah, it's basically just revealed his character. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so the book is called To Catch a Fake Catholic, Emails with an Imposter Priest by Tony V.C. Lowe. Okay, so no beating around the bush here. No. You're going straight for the jugular. Well, what I've got to always emphasise to people is that, I mean, firstly, it always reminds me of a passage that I read in the work of um, St. Francis de Sales, and he wrote a book called um, D- uh, Introduction to the Devout, Devout Life. There's an interesting section in there where he talks about not uh, attacking people's reputation and being very charitable mm-hmm. with people's um public profile and respectability and all that kind of thing. But here's the interesting thing. Just underneath his discussion about that, he quickly says, except for heretics. <laughs> okay. Right? And yeah. so I thought, because again, you know, these people... But the, the priest thinks you're a heretic. I know. And you think he's a heretic. Yeah. Yeah. But this is what I allow for the reader, you know. So I, I haven't changed any of his words. I have changed, I've shared the email conversation between the two of us verbatim. How long is the book? Uh, 80 pages. It's not very long at all. What, 20,000 words? Mm. Something like that. Mm. Okay. Exactly. And Do you have the audio version for people who don't like reading books? Not yet, but I'll work on it because I can very much sympathise with that way of thinking. So, <laughs> but all in good time. And your other book? Uh, so my other book is, um, that was actually a personal reflection because, you know, we were discussing just before this podcast about the role that basically hedonism plays in the modern world. People, mm. people just want to be happy. Mm, yeah. No, no, they, no. People just want to be able to do what they want to do. Yes. Whatever, whatever makes you feel good, man. Ex- man. Exactly. But yeah. underneath that is this idea of well, what is actually life all about? What is life for? And for people, it's like, well, I just want to enjoy it as much. I just want to enjoy life. Oh, well, you see that all the time. Exactly. I think um, there's so many people in my past who their actual saying was enjoy life, mm-hmm. enjoy life, which yeah. is. As superficial as it gets, isn't it? Well, this, one of the things... That it doesn't I actually, get more facile than that. Well, to, 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 to give it credit, I mean, one of the things I look at in the book at a certain point is the idea that there's actually two types of hedonism. There's what you can call a shallow hedonism, which is basically, dude, cocaine feels good, so do as much cocaine as you want. It's mm-hmm. like pleasure, bare-faced, naive pursuit of pleasure. Outcome. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Whereas there's actually a more subtle version, which you could kind of refer to as deep hedonism, where people are starting to clock onto the fact that, look... Cocaine isn't going to make you happy, but actually, if you try to live more charitably and altruistically, that is actually going to be a net gain on the total happiness you're going to have in your life, mm. right? But I still think there's deep problems with that, especially from a Christian point of view, because you're actually still making pleasure and enjoyment your God, not God Himself. Mm. Anyway, that's a false God, exactly, right. and it actually becomes a self-defeating argument. Ultimately, anyway, it's the sin it, of pride. Yeah, and it's all wrapped snake, up in a pretty a, bow. It's a snake that ends up eating its own yeah, tail. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Um, the irony is that if you actually try to class one to happiness, it's like trying to grab a bar of soap covered in olive oil. Like mm. the more grabbing onto it, you're yeah, doing, yeah, yeah. you never, you out. never arrive. No. You never arrive. Exactly. No matter, I'll buy this dress. I'll get this, you know, this this expensive toy, the sports car, mm. whatever the case may be. Yep. I've been looking at a really expensive guitar. Should I get it? Uh, I've, I've, I've actually managed to resist that for the time being. Okay. But I think I deserve it. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not your priest, but we'll just let that Far too young. That's so to be my priest. But anyway. I've met, actually met priests now who are younger than me, which is a bit of a... Uh, Dude. Yeah. But, every priest I know is younger than me. It's like all the old ones died off. No, no. My, my priest in, in England is awesome. This guy's like, um, so he's a SETI priest, obviously, but he's he's like um, eighty, going. He's above eighty years old, and he serves. He had to convert his house into a chapel, mm-hmm. so he, he could serve mass. Yeah, and he serves it in his house by himself every single day. And then on the weekends... Because they have like tra- two young boys helping him out? And- no, no, there are servers in the congregation, but they're usually adults who have learned. And what I've seen with the Catholic families there, they're actually teaching their sons to serve as well. Okay, so you do, good. But the problem is they're like... Also, he's the only Sadi priest consistently in the UK. So he's got to basically... The whole of the UK? Yeah, yeah. The only one? Yeah. Now they do have other priests who And serve he's 82. Yeah. Things are not looking good. They're not. No. no. They do have other priests who come in from Europe, but he's the only one who's actually resident. In the UK. Wow. Who serves. And St. Plymouth. Yeah. Which is about as south as you can get. Exactly. So if you're in Aberdeen, you're in a bit of trouble. Absolutely. So the the best he can do is he can actually serve the people in, say, towards London or perhaps even in the Midlands, like places like Bristol. But the idea is that he's got to travel two hours east to a place that's set up for the Latin Mass and everyone comes to him. And, you know, one of the beautiful things about that is we've got families we know with four, five, six, seven kids, and they'll travel two, three, three and a half hours each way to come to those masses. Nice. Um, every other Sunday. Nice. And, you know, obviously he travels for two hours as an 82-year-old priest. He will, serve, he will serve mass in Plymouth in the morning and then come over and do that for the afternoon. Really? Yeah. No, that's awesome. Based. Based. Based with a capital B. Yeah. 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 Uh, where were we? Hedonism. Mm. Yeah. So Your second book. Exactly. So, so I, I had a fairly hedonistic adolescence and going through that, I realized quite quickly how hollow the whole thing was. So I flipped my mindset and thought, okay, so happiness is not, happiness is not the meaning of life mm-hmm. from how I understand it. Mm-hmm. And I knew that Christianity moved towards something more than that. But here's the twist. I would then read people like St. Augustine and St. Aquinas and Aquinas actually straight up says at one point man is made for happiness and i thought that's a weird little turn of events like what's going on there Mm. so the whole idea of the book is a personal reflection i wanted to work out this question for myself what is the role of happiness in the christian life because on the one hand we are not made to pursue pleasure that's for sure but we're also not made to be miserable either like it's not like god just wants us to constantly suffer for the whole time and so I try, to, I try to kind of resolve that paradox. God actually, we are made for happiness. God wants us to be happy. But he also, happiness cannot be the meaning of life. What's going on there? Um, so really, if you read the book, it's me working through that reflection from like stage one to stage 10 and going through all of my thoughts about it and, and thinking through. And what are, your, uh, what are your conclusions? The conclusion is that happiness is not meaning of life. Love is. Okay. And love as in? Love with a capital L, as we've discussed prior as well like love so agape agape 
Agape. Agape. Yeah. And I always emphasize to people when I have these So what's stuff, agape for our so, listeners? Exactly. So, so there's four types of love. I've written uh, an article about this in the past. So those who follow my blog and have a brain cell together, they can remember stuff, will know that there are four types of uh, love. There's filial love. Yes. Right. There's agape love. Mm-hmm. Help me out here. So there's stroge, which is like affection and familiarity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the kind of connection you'd get between, say, like you and your neighbors or the dog down the street. Mm-hmm. And really it's what... Uh, like the dog that came and met us exactly. today. We, had a beautiful we went a beautiful walk today, didn't we? we did. It was a very nice walk yeah. in the mountains. Really filled the lungs. Filled the lungs. Yeah. Two hours we went for yeah. after a bunch of beers up at the local Absolutely. bar. Absolutely. Really freshens up. With the locals. It. Yeah. it was good. Uh, and we met a nice dog. Yep. He turned well, out, he, couple, barked, he barked at the start. Yep. But then he turned out to be our buddy. I think Absolutely. he was pumping your leg at the end, wasn't he? Oh, well, he was grabbing onto me, yeah. But I yeah. think he was sad to see us go. Yeah. 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 Um, so that's that's stroge. And and so you've got stroge, which is, which is basically affection and familiarity. Then you've got eros, which is... Now eros has become erotica, which is all about sexual. But it's not just that. It's like when we think of falling in love in the romantic sense, that's all eros. eros. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what's been bastardized by the romanticism movement to make mm-hmm. that love mm-hmm. with a capital L. It's, it's got its place, but it's not the whole story. So that's the love you get between like a man and a wife. Um, and then you've got philios, which is... It goes. It's it's kind of what you'd understand as friendship love, but it goes a kind of stage beyond that. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's quite deep. It's much a, deeper. Yeah, a, it's almost a, like you know when you watch something like Band of Brothers, or you mm-hmm. you know the idea of soldiers who would die for each other in battle. Mm-hmm. That the depth of that kind of connection is really Philios at its prime. I think I think I think as as cartoony as it was, the three hundred movie mm. is it a good example mm-hmm. of filial? That's Philios Philios yeah. uniting. Not just men, but it can unite women together. But the the, the defining characteristic of philios is um, unity and love born out of a common purpose. Yes. So you're all aiming in the same direction, and that's what brings out true friendship, as opposed to just camaraderie or you know being a drinking buddy or whatever. Heil Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> we did it. We did it. Heil Hitler. I, you, I didn't. You didn't. Oh, okay. Oh, Heil Hitler. There we okay. go. Okay. Good man. <laughs> <laughs> and the last one is agape. Agape is, uh, is and that's the, the that's the important. One. It's divine love. That's the that's that's the yeah. Bible version of love. So when everyone's going on about Jesus's love, yeah, they're they're calling that the eros. Well, that's the whole. You know, if you go into like a modern a modern Protestant church and everyone's playing these rock songs and treating Jesus as Hallelujah, as if, Amen, yeah. Amen. Oh, I love you, Jesus. Yeah, oh, you're yeah, my boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah I love yeah, your yeah, haircut. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah you're yeah. on my t-shirts. Yeah, that's again like bastardizing eros for, for agape but no agape is um if you go back and read the new testament in its original greek agape is the word used for love in each instance where jesus uses it so uh, love thy neighbor was agape thy neighbor agape thy neighbor and agape love thy enemy was agape thy enemy or god when he says god is love he says god is agape mm. right um and agape is wanting what is good for someone for the sake of that goodness itself. Mm, no matter how difficult that might be for the person involved. And whether you like them or not, right? Yes. And that's the, one of the main twists, because obviously in the English, uh, the, the deficiencies of love in the English language is that we tie it to liking so mm, much. Mm. Whereas, again, this Greek conception goes beyond that. It says, no, regardless of liking, and even regardless of affection, regardless of philia or eros or stroge, 
you just want what's good for the sake you of You want that the best for that person. Exactly. In that situation. Exactly. No matter how short-term painful it might be for exactly. them. And yeah. that outcome at the time, mm. even long-term painful. Because that, by definition, is partaking in not only God's nature, but God's love. Mm. Yeah. And so, that's what he wants for us. So if we, if we go back to the conclusion of your book. Yeah. Well, it's a kind of, again, it's paradoxical because, as we said, trying to grab onto happiness, it slips out of your hands. So the idea is that God wants you to be happy, but he wants you to be happy by prioritizing something else. And the thing you prioritize is love. Mm. As in agape love. Exactly. By prioritizing agape, by living through agape and making that the meaning of your life, which basically means making God the meaning of your life, which means making the good of your neighbors the meaning of your life. They're all the same thing. It's actually. all interconnected. Exactly. At the end of the yeah. day. That is actually what is going to make you happy and deserve the kingdom of heaven. And not only in the life to come, but actually in this life as well. Mm. Um, so that's how you square that circle. So it's not a superficial love. It's not a, it's not a self-interested or selfish love. Mm. It's, a, it's, it's a love that is, is, is projected. Self-giving, yes. self-forgetting. And that's the other thing. It's self-forgetting, which is the complete opposite of hedonism. Because no matter what version of hedonism you go for, whether it's the shallow kind or the deep kind, it's still saying, my happiness is the thing that I want. That mm. is what my That's what counts for. the most, no matter what, how much it hurts other people. Exactly. And that's yeah. why it's, a, it's a, a dead end. Do what you want. Do what you want, man. Do as thou wilt. Yeah. 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 Um, whereas Agape says, no, look beyond thyself. Go beyond uh, what your immediate desires and pleasures are. And even go beyond what your long-term pleasures are in a certain sense. Yeah. And go for what God's desires are. Mm. And go for what's good for your neighbor and the people around you. Mm. And, mate, we'll throw in happiness along with that as well. Okay. That's, that's its only proper place. Good. Yeah. Great. So your books are available on... Amazon. The Horrible Amazon. Yeah. All right. So I'll, I'll stick some links in the, the... um the post up for this uh, podcast so that people can uh, and you can use my affiliate link so you can throw me some goodies because technically I'm not working at the moment True. I haven't been working since July yeah, yeah, yeah. you know I don't, like I don't, you're technically a vagabond at the moment I am technically yeah. a vagabond but I don't go around snuck internet. into some broken into some other guy's house just to cook a stew yeah basically I don't go around internet begging but uh, but you know I mean that's the way it was uh, that's why the cookie crumbles um, so you told me that you wanted to ask me a few questions Questions yeah, I did have a couple on of this whole the whole podcast thing. Yeah. So, far away. Uh, well, I suppose the first thing to mention was you know uh, Rush V, um, who we both have, have looked at a couple of times, raised an interesting article recently, which he said was the thirty three rules for Christian men finding a woman or looking for traits in a woman, and you disagreed not with the article in terms of details, but you actually disagreed with it in principle. And I wanted you to speak about that a bit more and why. Okay, so I first of all, I didn't, I haven't written anything about this or mm. podcasted anything about disagreeing with this. Yeah. This was a so you sent me the link yesterday and said, "Have you seen this?" And I didn't even bother responding to it because I thought it was beneath me. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we when uh, we met up yesterday, I said, "Well, as I I agree, I just disagree in." incomplete principle yes with uh yeah. with this article it wasn't like every single thing he was saying in every tip was complete nonsense no i'd say i'd say that the majority of his tips were accurate mm. but so all right summarize the article 
Well, it's basically... So just, just so we can give a background to people who are listening right now. Yeah, yeah. So, so people, uh, according to Roosh, people have come to him basically asking for advice on trying to find a woman or, or looking for traits in women to... How do I get the girls? Yeah, and how do I notice uh, traits in a woman um, that I want to be... Uh, want to make a wife out of basically. Yeah, like, to be, she's to got marry. a tattoo on her face. Is yeah. that bad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 um, yeah. And it's like she's yeah. a hooker. Is that bad? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and if yeah. so, how and how do I work around that and that yeah, kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, people are coming to him now with a, with a Christian mindset of look. Even if uh, you know she says that she's uh, just finding a woman who says that she's in Rush's case orthodox or traditional Christian in any respect doesn't just guarantee that she's going to be a perfect wife. Yeah, and what are other things to consider and look out for when you're when you're approaching that? Okay, and I think um, I think the best way to look at this is to have a look at the article by mm. Rouge. So let me just let me just bring it up here um, as I go through my forty-seven tabs that are open on my. Uh, on yeah, this my... this uh, annoys my autism horrendously. Yeah, no. it's far too unclean. Sorry, I do know I've had these tabs open for about two years. Oh, you can see they've got dust all over them now as well. I know. So Tragic. let's have a look here at Rouge's article. Um, there we are. 33 things. All right. First of all, Rouge likes to put numbers <laughs> in his yeah. articles because at the end of the day, he wants clicks. Um, and you get those from going 10 ways to work out how masturbating with a cheese grater is uh, not in your own best health. interest. Yeah. Yet. So, anyway, so. Let's just have a look at a couple. Assume that you will never change her. There we go. Women are capable of deceiving men. Fine. If her spirit and behavior are more secular than orthodox, she is abiding by the secular world. Okay. A woman who maintains a perfect perfect physical appearance may crave validation from men more than God. Number five, you will not choose a woman with wisdom if your passions are elevated. Number six, beware of game works on her. Number seven, all right, okay, mm-hmm. enough. So my problem with this fundamentally is that this and other lists and other psychological breakdowns like it dehumanize the target. They also dehumanize the target audience. So the target in this case is women and the target audience is men. And I know this might be a bit of a raise your eyebrows moment for a lot of my listeners, but if you look back through the vast majority of Manosphere writings on the subject of women, I think that this has been a common trap that we've fallen into over the last 10 years and that writers like Roosh and Rollo and myself um, and many others have have played into. Mm. I think the whole thing is is desperately unhealthy. I think that once you start to label people in this manner, then you can label anyone in this manner. That any woman that you... He's given 33 signs here that she's not okay Mm. i'm sorry but that means that any woman that you find you'll be able to pin at least one of these negative traits upon her and then what does that mean Mm. Mm. It, it seems to me like okay i made a bit of a joke there she's got tattoos on her face She's a hooker. Well, those are obvious signs that probably mm-hmm. you don't want to go in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I find that 
I find that, I, like I said, this is dehumanizing. I find that this, this all plays, I think, into a trap of freezing men. Okay. Of making them unable to make a step in the right direction. Mm. Of making them unable to even approach a girl because all they're doing is running down a set. Overanalyzing the situation. Overanalyzing. It's before, it's, before they can be honestly, human in the interaction. Honestly, well, let me put my glasses back on. 33 things Christian mentioned. Over. I mean, it's autistic. Hmm. It's fucking autistic. Mm-hmm. You just don't approach women in this way. Yeah. I'm not saying that you don't use your brains and your common sense mm-hmm. and your social skills. Yeah, and you'd be aware of a red flag when you see one and factor that in in the right time the, be- the best way is to have some sort of girl who's connected through a family mm-hmm. and that you've had an introduction to her and that uh, it's been chaperoned obviously the whole things that the modern world is completely against yep which is 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 tough I'm not saying that the dating game out there is not tough I've, I've been divorced for four years I've been single for four years mm. yeah um, what I'm saying is that is that you're falling into a trap, mm. a pre-prepared trap mm-hmm. by you know who. Mm. If if you if you think along these lines, mm. and I find it curious that Roosh would delete all of his books on game, and then publish something like this. Mm. I find that I find that a, a contradictory um, purpose. Because if we're talking about principle, it's not that he's. Uh, Obviously, he's not advertising game with a list like this. In fact, quite the opposite. He speaks against game. Yeah. But the, it's, it's a layer behind that, right? It's the it's principle the, behind systematizing. It's the same the thing in reverse. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing in reverse. Yeah. You're still, you're still, coming, you're, you're still approaching it from a, a psychological point of view. And psychology, psychology, modern psychology and psychiatry were invented by Freud and Jung. And, and that was just Jewish shit mm-hmm. that's been designed to, you know... Hmm. Especially make Ameri- oh, Americans nonsense. lose their minds. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and and I find that that this sort of thing is the is along the same along the same lines. Yeah. And I I think it's extremely counterproductive. Mm-hmm. I think it's extremely self defeating. Mm. And I think that any woman worth her weight who any man tries to evaluate with her on this would be would be would be correct to run for the hills. Mm. Yeah. Um, so well, like, like we kind of alluded to. Uh, yesterday, like nothing says romance like systematizing someone, right? Just, so, you know, yeah. I I I had this conversation with you earlier today when we were talking about this. You know, I my wife and I divorced four years ago. Divorce is a two way street. Yes, it's not. It's not one party just woke up. And if I look back on my behaviour in the years before we divorced. The, the one big red flag I had was that I I delved too t- deeply into the whole red pill psychology psychology mm. and I started to use that I started to use it on my wife and doubt mm. what was going on and, mm. and she was not stupid yeah and I think that that honestly I think that that damaged our relationship mm. and honestly I actually I know that that damaged our relationship mm-hmm. so I think that this is not just a, a dead end game. I think that this is this is really a, counterproductive. A road to purgatory. Yeah. Okay. So, speaking through that, uh, 
The main thing I wanted to ask you about was not so much about why you disagree with Roosh, but your own counter position or, or alternative position as to... I've already stated that, that, that you should be... But you're also going to tie this to the book that you're writing as well. Do you want to speak to that at all? Um, yeah, uh, so I'm writing a book on how to be a patriarchal man in a, in a feminized world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do, do live in a feminized world, but women are as much victims of, of feminism as men are, mm-hmm. if not more so. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say. For sure, yeah. Um, so as regards to dating, is that that's what you're alluding to? Yeah, you know, dating and by extension marriage as well. On how you manage a marriage, hmm. well, you'll have to wait for the book to come out. <laughs> you cheeky rascal. Well, you know, it's um, it's very simple and it's very tricky and profound. Well, look, so, so just just to put it, speaking of autism, just to just to satisfy my own autism. If, if Roosh is going at this from the point of view of systematizing your counter offer, well, your counter suggestion is what? It, to not do this. Okay, but would you say that's therefore a matter of, you know, instead of systematizing, you work on principles instead? Or how is there some other way you would phrase that? This is a gigantic overcomplication. Over, 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 over overcomplication. Like, like say the word overcomplication. We've, we've <laughs> drunk far too much red wine and I have to drive you back to your hotel. Uh, this is a, Rooster's thing here is a gigantic overcomplication, as were things like um, Rollo's books, of what should be and what was in the past mm. a fairly simple. Yeah. In, uh, transaction. Well, I've always reflected on that in the terms of, you know, obviously the modern world and the lives we live in complicate things enormously. But if you roll the clock back 200, 300 years where things were much more traditional and say you're living in a Catholic society, then these are rules that ignorant male peasants would understand intuitively, right? They're things that they would just know. How to Here's do. what in- ignorant, like ignorant male peasants ha- knew yeah. that they had to have enough wealth behind them mm-hmm. to be able to support a family. But they also knew that they had to be men as well. Yeah, no, 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 but that's, yeah. no, no, that's the whole thing. Yeah, okay. Ignorant male peasants knew that mm-hmm. they had to have enough wealth behind them mm-hmm. to support a family, mm-hmm. which means that they had to go out and make a man of themselves to be able to then support the family before they could attract a wife. Sure. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and whether you signed up for the navy and you went on board and you didn't spend all your money on whores and, mm. and rum, or you did whatever you needed to do, I, don't know, I wasn't living three hundred years ago. Sure, sure. Um, Despite the beard and everything that might tell us, but <laughs> it's like a joke, honey. It's not funny. Um, <laughs> it's um, it's just like you 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 have to you have to say to a woman. I can support you. Mm. I can support our children. Yeah. Um, I will stick by you. I will not. I will not be a be a flag in the wind. Well, again, again, but careful, right? Because in many of those senses, even many feminized men can still tick those boxes, but be be feminine, right? Or, or not be proper men, because there are plenty of feminized yeah, but men you weren't who asking, have an income. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you weren't asking me the question on how to be a man. You were asking me the question of what was the okay, what was the counterpoint to sure. Rush's okay, Rush's argument? Yeah, yeah. So, but that's the whole point. Yeah, is that, and that's why I'm writing a book on this. Okay, is that it's all 
interrelated. It's all interconnected. Mm. Yeah. You can't have one without the other. Mm. So it's it's pretty easy to get the girls once you've got your shit. Sorry. It's pretty easy to get the girl mm-hmm. once yep. you've got your shit together. Yep. But the whole getting your shit together thing mm. requires a hell of a lot of work and yeah. effort. Yeah. And it's much easier these days to stay home and play video games. True. Yeah. You know, and jerk off to porn. Mm. And to read 33 fucking whatevers and go, well, obviously, and then oh, I met this girl at the pub and she's out. failed four of them. Yeah. Ah, she's out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Women are all bitches. Yeah. Eh. Yeah. No. Yeah. You know, I think that I think that women have had a really hard time of it. And I know it's surprising to hear that because we've had the whole, the divorce thing, women get everything, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And it's all correct. Mm-hmm. I don't say blah, 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 like I'm dismissing it. I'm like, yeah. blah, 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 like there's so much of it. Yeah. But I actually, I actually do think they're the ones who've really been fucked over here mm. and that they can't drag themselves out of it. They need us, mm. which makes them the real victims because they don't have the power in the situation mm. because in a patriarchal world, the man has the power. That's the whole point. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So women are dependent on us getting our shit together mm-hmm. until we get our shit together. Well, like we were saying yesterday, you know, feminism is just a giant shit test. Giant shit test. Fe- feminism is just the cultural wide, philosophical... 150, 150 year shit test. Yeah. And we failed the fuck out of it. Failed the fuck out of it. Exactly. Yeah. And on so every... where's that left women? Yeah. Fucked. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, actually, speaking about that then, um, men's purpose and where they're going in life, that brings me on to the next question I wanted to speak to you about, which was actually about... You've spoken a few times in the past about men having a mission and that being a real anchor point to what men should have in their lives and that kind of brings up or leads them on to the kind of men they should be. You know, your mission anchors you first, and then the idea of you having a wife and stuff and courting all comes in the wake of that, right? Yeah. You prioritize your mission, you prioritize, and then the the romance maybe comes in afterwards. But I wanted to bring this on to um, a question about, look, if a young man ever gets married, then we're taught as Catholics, for example, that your main priority is your family, Mm -hmm. right? And the salvation of your family and looking after them. He who does not look after his own is worse than the heathen, worse than the heathen and the publican. Yo yo. So I was interested in what you think about the connection between that and having a mission, right? Because I know this statement I'm about to say is wrong, but I want to speak around it. That you know, when you become married, therefore you would say, well, your marriage then is your mission. But that's not how you would think of it at all. So, no. so how would you speak to the connection between those two things? A man has his mission, mm-hmm. but then he also can have a family. So what's the balance between those two when that comes around, do you think? Man, the man's mission supports the family. Supports the family. Right. It that's just it. brings it along with it. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Because of the man's mission, the fam- family is able to exist. Mm. Okay. Without the mission, the family can't exist. Yeah. It can't be supported. This is why welfare is such a pernicious uh, a thing. Yeah. Because it undermines the whole mission. It says you can have the family without the mission of the man. Mm. You understand well, what I? You understand what I mean? So, so it, it's all based on that. Hmm. R- Roycey, uh, as in Chateau Hatteist, was absolutely spot on on this, hmm. in the sense that you know, your you must bring girls within your frame, but not make them the center of your frame. Yeah, ex- exactly. Because exactly. if you do that, then you destroy what it is that makes 
you a man mm. and you'll destroy the relationship because you won't be the man that she was attracted to originally. Now, now to be clear though, this, this does still speak to the, the relation between these two things because you would therefore, if you say the man needs to have his mission, what you're still saying there is the mission should be compatible or actually conducive to having a marriage and a family, right? No, not necessarily. Well, a, pri- a priest. A well, priest. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. But I mean, like, if a man says, my mission in life You're... is to collect stamps, but I also want to have a wife, it's like, well, you've got to think about things. Well, your mission in life has to support yourself. If you're collecting stamps means that you're a stamp dealer mm. and you're making a lot of money. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah? yeah? Well. If you're a model train enthusiast and, you know, you end up making a, a career out of it, I then fine. Money to have a wife and but that, this is why men have hobbies and women don't. Yeah. Women, women don't, for example, teenage boys, you look at their interest in music. Mm-hmm. Well, when there was music. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and teenage girls, completely two different things. Mm. They, they're, they're, they're not even comparable. Mm. A teenage girl has the, the picture of, the, of the, the pop star on the wall. She'll listen to the song as long as her friends are listening to it. And then if they're not listening it to anymore, she won't listen to it either because the new thing comes along. Mm. Whereas teenage boys tend to be completely different. They'll yeah. pick a genre. Yeah. It might be metal. Yeah. It might be punk. Mm. It might be, I don't know what the hell it is, okay? But whatever it is, and then that's going to consume them because they're interested in it for the knowledge per se. Mm. Um, we were having this discussion yesterday, is that knowledge or... The interest in, in acquiring, acquiring knowledge is the major difference between the appreciation of, of knowledge. Knowledge, acquire knowledge, or knowledge for its own sake. Is, is one of the big differences between men and women. Mm. However, men have to be extremely careful not to fall into the vice of overusing it's knowledge. It's almost like an, an inte- intellectual gluttony. In a certain sense. Yeah, right. there's an actual term for it. I could pull up the 64 vices now, but I can't be bothered. Fair but there, uh, there, there's an actual vice. But I gave you the example yesterday yeah. in Italy of uh, language snobs yeah, in the yeah, expat yeah. community. And that's a really good example. So you'll get... It's why I tend to avoid expats when I'm living in places, especially Italy, because yeah. I speak Italian. So you'll get expats who move to Italy. They'll learn the Italian language, and then that defines them. Mm. And they will use that as a social status point to put down and then raise themselves mm, I'm the man who knows so much about Italian. Listen and to you, my fancy peacock And words. you don't, you, you stupid foreigner, and no. you're trying to learn it, and you don't know it, so I know I can make myself feel better at your expense. Yeah. So that's, that's the use of knowledge as a vice and it's ironically going to make them seem like cunts to both well, the expats well, and the Italian natives right? well yes yeah, yeah which yeah. is you know but once when you fall into vice you fall into vice mm-hmm. but the the pursuit of interests um, for me is the, is the fundamental divide between men and women men pursue interests women women pursue family and children sure as they should yeah. yeah, and that's why the modern world is distorted. Yes, because yeah. we've got women in inverted commas careers, mm-hmm. jobs, yep. um, who aren't suited for it mm. because it's not. And the big, obviously, the big, the big ridiculous thing is that we women in the '60s were sitting at home with the new technology of washing machines and the, and had their kids, and they thought, and they thought that men slogging off to work had it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just blow yeah, your mind. Yeah. You blow your mind. I mean, yeah. how how stupid do you need to be? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, let let's 
let's turn the tables around mm-hmm. and let's say in the 1960s it was men mm-hmm. who were sitting at home and had two hours of work to hit the washing machine and the vacuum cleaner and then they were basically done mm-hmm. okay with their free time with their interests with the their interests the right and it was women who were slogging it off to work you know leaving mm-hmm. it Eight o'clock in the morning, getting home at six o'clock at night. How was your day, dear? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think men would have gone? We want that. Exactly. No. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. It's baffling. I mean, one of the main examples of how I saw a real close example of the failure of feminism was um, I've lo- I've worked in various different roles. I mean, my main role when I'm living in the UK at the moment is in construction. Mm-hmm. Right? So I work as a plumber, which is a completely male-dominated environment. They're all pretty happy to be there. Well, happy on a building site. It's not the point. I've also worked in roles where it's been predominantly women, where I've worked in offices. And there was one office I was working in where a lot of the women there were actually middle-aged by that point. And they were doing things like admin data entry roles. And you look back and you think, you know, fucking hell, Brenda, how long have you been in this office for? Well, I don't know, about a part of 30 years. Is this what it was all for? Fucking hell. Is this what it was all for? This same, like, four grey walls that you've told me have not been refurbished in the last 30 years. You've sat there in front of that computer screen, typing in documents, which you obviously, you complain about on a daily basis how fucking boring this job is. In fact, if there weren't another five women in here that also bitch with you about how bad the job was, this would be a living hell for you. Um, This was what your freedom bought. And she goes under cats. Exactly. Or, no, here's the other twist, because a lot of the women I worked with did actually have kids, but they had kids that they go home to who they didn't raise, mm. right? So it's like, so you spend all of those decades in this box. So you have kids you don't even know. Hmm. You had no they were control. Raised by someone else. You had no control over how they were raised. Yep. It's like, it's like I noticed, all right, so when I grew up back in the 70s, when I was a very young lad, so I was born in 1971, I went to preschool hmm. when I was five, mm-hmm. And then I went to grade one when I was six. Mm-hmm. Okay? That was it. Hmm. All right? Preschool. And preschool was like four hours a day. Yeah, yeah. It was not a babysitting service by any stretch of the nations. It was to prepare you to walk into grade one and to be able to function as a six-year-old. You knew what letters were, for example. In that environment. Yeah. yeah? yeah. Now, two-year-olds are going to daycare, preschool... Two-year-olds, mm. even younger. Yeah. And it's not, it's just basically, it's a total abdication of, of any any responsibility for child yeah, raising. Parent, parental connection. Yeah. yeah. Which is horrendous. Yeah. Yeah, I could totally agree. But this is the thing. And that wise, that's why we've got the millennials. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, Look, I'm trying my best, mate. Yourself. Okay, give me yeah. some time. Yeah. Um, but no, I completely agree. I completely, that's another way in which, as you say, feminism has not just done damage to men, but it's done profound damage to women who have been sold that dream yeah, yeah. by women. Um, I mean, one of the ironic things, if you ever want a very good book on feminism, it's called Domestic Tranquility by a woman called Gralia. And her story is that she actually worked as a high-powered lawyer for the most of her life. And then she had kids. And because she was sensible enough, she had the kids and realized that after raising them for a few months, she was like, well, this is fucking great. Why am I not doing more of this? Mm. And that twigged her red flags about the whole feminist movement and she actually did the academic work to go back through the feminist movement and understand how it came about one of the first things she found is these main like pioneers of feminism who were around in like the 50s and 60s first of all none of them actually had any fucking kids and didn't even have the careers that they were speaking about but one of my one of my favorite examples you know who simone de beauvoir is 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she used to date Sartre, you know, that fucking miserable, they say he's an existentialist, he's basically a nihilist prick. But one of the funniest stories from that is um, she used to argue with Sartre and Sartre used to consistently beat her in arguments and she fucking loved it. She, lo- she actually sub- distinctly wrote about how she loved the fact that, that Sartre he would always, destroy her. always intellectually destroy in every argument they had. But w- so what's the, the point? The whole point of that is that these women who actually pioneer the feminist movement were not even living the lives that they of course were not. advertising. To do you want to mention that they were all Jews? Well, we can do. Okay. Yeah. They were all Jews. Extra 10 points for the podcast. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if Anchor... Cheeky, cheeky, sneaky, sneaky. Let's see if Anchor banned me. Uh, that, that really got it quite high on the old decibel reading there, didn't it? Yeah. Anyway, unbelievable. Did you have another question for me? Uh, yeah, I did. And it actually segues from our last conversation quite nicely because um, having a mission also involves having a certain amount of ambition in life. And I think... Yes. Okay. So I suppose before I even ask a question, do you think men should have ambition? I think men should be driven Hmm. to have ambition, which means that the whole social security net is defined to remove ambition from young men. Agreed. Now, now the the possible uh, twist in the serpent's tongue when it comes to that uh, mindset is... You're told to have ambition or you want to have ambition, but then obviously that is such an open door for becoming prideful um, because ambition and pride usually walk hand in hand in many ways. No, I know, I know. And this is why I want to talk to you about it because I wanted to ask you, what do you think is... I made a... I made a, 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 a I, don't, I don't agree with him face there. Yeah. Yeah. So my, I wanted to ask you directly, what do you think is the balance between a healthy amount of ambition and humility? Okay. Uh, or I think the better question is, what do you think is the balance between a healthy amount of ambition and not falling into pride? Oh, fuck it. We'll just get you to interview yourself next time then. <laughs> well, I normally do. Okay, fair enough. I just do the podcast <laughs> yeah. by myself. Uh, to be fair, I, don't, yeah. I don't need you here. <laughs> Door's over there, mate. Yeah, yeah. It's don't, not even your, it's don't let the door, you know, hit you on the way out. Yeah, fuck off. You can't even say get out of my house. It's not even your fucking house. Uh, <laughs> is any house our house? Go on, I'm Sartre. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so what is, what is the, what is the difference between having a healthy amount of ambition and not falling in the trap of pride? Yeah. yeah. Christianity. Yeah. Go on, but extrapolate. Well, Christianity. If you are a, a healthy Christian, so we have to say Catholic here. Yep. Um, and that you understand that the physical world is balanced with the spiritual world. And that your spiritual growth is is as, if not more important than your physical growth, then you will stand every chance to remain grounded, um, and you won't fall into those traps. And if you have a relationship with a good priest, who you're able to talk with on a regular basis, and and hash out um, complexities that you might that you will come into contact with, then once again. And that priest, who what is he to you? He's a mentor. What are most young men lack today? Mentors. mentors. Yeah, for sure. So I think I think that I think that that's my answer yeah. in a nutshell. Yeah. Does that work for you? Yeah, it works fine. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Good. Nice. Great. Any other questions? No, that's it actually. That's all you got. Yeah, that's all I had. That's all it. That's it. After working up to this moment for for like. 
74 years. That's all you got. That's all I've got, mate. Wow. Yeah. Okay. All right, let's take questions from the audience. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's not a live stream because I don't do those things. I, I find the whole live stream thing a little bit... I don't know. I don't know. I've done them and, uh, and the, a question will pop up and I go, that's a good question, yeah. but then... I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a joiner. No, I can see their value. And there's something you know, quite natural and conversational in the flow of things. Um, you know, we've, we spoke earlier about, because <laughs> ironically, you don't actually listen to podcasts. No. Um, I don't hide that. All of my yeah, listeners know oh, no, that no, no, I no, despise no. podcasts, yeah. even though I put out a podcast. <laughs> yeah. But one of the things I, I can speak to in terms of how I've enjoyed podcasts is there's something quite nice about the conversational aspect of that. And without someone just being, because I also really enjoy audiobooks, but the difference between audiobooks and podcasts is audiobooks are very formalized. Mm. and very uh, almost cold in that respect whereas if you have a nice conversational podcast where you get questions from people and you have a natural reaction there's something just warm and uh, easier uh, easy 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 listening in that sense while you're getting a bit of insight to get thrown in well that's very um, very lovey-dovey of you very um, which is the most important thing at the end of the day I mean it feels great very uh, what's the time of love Aros no um, Eros. Eros yeah very ero- it's a very erotic of me is it no it's not Fucking it's hell. very uh, it's not Fibio what's the one with the doggies Storge 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 it's very Storge love Storge. of you yeah. 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 yeah very wishy-washy very you know hump my leg I'm a little doggy who wants to get padded mm. you know it's yeah. a nice dog today wasn't it it was a very nice dog yeah. so we went for, we went for a walk uh, we went for a walk uh, two hour walk wasn't it mm-hmm. yeah uh, in the mountains yep yeah you enjoying up this part of the world beautiful beautiful yeah I do love the air here as well and like I said I've, I came through a couple of countries beforehand because I've got my travels for, for different reasons but something about being in Italy just has this, uh, a bit of if you know what I mean a bit of flavour to it okay that was very Spanish though. I know I know but I didn't have, know how else to express it but there's something about living in Italy it's got such a vitality to it um, I was trying to explain it to one of your friends at the bar earlier like it's not just solely a Catholicism thing but it's almost like you've got that underlying foundation that was there even that's bleeding its way through the culture even now and that's why you know if we're living with things like the good and the true and the beautiful well Italy's got beauty in spades mate. I think that and you see that all the way through I think that the buildings the culture the food yeah yeah, know, yeah yeah and that's Italy's great strength and other countries in Europe I've written about this in the past. I think Europe's going to be okay uh, uh, under the whole woke onslaught. England is fucked. We were talking about Scotland earlier as well. Any any Anglo-Saxon nation is screwed. Australia, New Zealand, Canada, the US, the UK, all done and dusted Mm -hmm. because we don't have that underlying attachment or... um, legato, as I would say in Italian, to the culture... I think the Industrial Revolution severed that. Yes. Um, I think that... I think, I, the, I think the Protestant Revolution had its toll on that. Also, well. yeah. I think Australia was founded during the Industrial Revolution, so there was no contact with the land. The, mm-hmm. All of the food was industrial. It was tinned tinned uh, meat. And, yep. and this is back in the ni- early 19th century. Mm-hmm. You know? So you never got any of those traditions. Yeah. Any old traditions that we have were... 
were were withered away and then they were completely destroyed under health and safety yeah, laws. Yeah, yeah, I can speak to that. Um, whereas Italy, um, I have this conversation. So 20, 20 odd years ago, when I first came to Italy, Italy were very Italians were very embarrassed about their politics. Hmm. Italian politics are so um, ridiculous. Yeah, we go through prime ministers. You know, and there's more prime ministers than years. Blah yeah. blah blah blah. blah. And an Italian, a few Italians said this to me recently, and I said, well, first of all, in comparison to, to England, you're doing quite well. Yeah, especially now. Especially, especially now. now. Especially now. At least your prime minister is Italian. Yeah, hey, hey. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're well. Yeah. Well, that, that's my next point. Yeah. If you look at the Italian parliament, and there's a lot of politicians in the, in the Italian parliament, several hundred, mm. there's one black dude, okay, yeah. and the rest are all Italians. Yeah. If you look at the Australian Parliament, I won't speak for the English Parliament, though you've got an Indian sitting there now. Yep. Good luck with that. Well, it speaks for itself, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, In Hindi. Yeah. Mm. Uh, demon worshipping. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in Australia's Parliament, I think half of it is is Chinese, Indians, mm-hmm. whatever, yeah, Africans, yeah. Yeah. all and all with a, a gigantic chip on their shoulder. Yep. Imagine that. You rock into a country... Mm-hmm. You're able to actually stand for parliament and get elected and then you get into parliament and, and spend your whole time telling the native population how, how horrible and mm-hmm. racist they are. Yeah. I, just, yeah. I would never stand for parliament in Italy mm. because I would be embarrassed beyond shame mm. to think that I could speak for them yeah. and their culture. Well, one of the things I've noticed with... I can't speak to Australia as such, but for, for English culture, um, we're almost like psychopathically polite. And I think that's really worked against us in the long term. Um, I don't know if that's a defining characteristic, though, to our down- collective downfall, because okay. Australians are not psychopathically polite. But they've still fallen for the same yep. shtick and bullshit. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, the best way I can kind of characterise England is it's almost... Because England really does... You know, when England was Catholic, it was awesome. Awesome. One of the best countries in the world. And there is something in the English spirit that I value profoundly. Um, but when I think of England as a, as a country, or even as a nation in certain senses, which I'm, I'm finding harder and harder to distinguish and see actually where the fuck it is anymore mm. because of England. But it's almost as if someone's taken a beautiful painting and they've just held it under a tap yeah. for 500 years. Or taken and a giant shit on it. All the colours are just being completely rinsed through until it's just got this real grey, loose, flaky aspect to it. Where it just feels like there was something here, but it's it's just been fucking drowned. Yeah, it's been drowned. Yeah, and it hasn't come up for air for a very long time. Henry VIII has got a lot to answer for. Oh, such a prick! You know what, a prick? It says love agape your agape. enemies, agape your enemies. Yeah. Um, well, I agape Henry VIII, and I hope he's rotting in hell. Hmm. As justice would hopefully do. As justice would hopefully yeah. do. Because so, love is both agape and justice. So here's to Henry VIII rotting in hell. There we go. Chin chin. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me drink first. Mm. We're all done. Uh, this oh. has been the. Unless you got something else. Uh, I did have one final question, but I feel like I was, asked you if you had any more questions. Yeah, and you said that was it. Uh, I wasn't sure whether it was going to be that pertinent, but because I think you've already maybe spoken to this before. But I quickly wanted to ask: You became a Catholic, and you always talk about coming back to Catholicism. No, I was I, born a Catholic. Yeah, but you meandered. I I, I went off the path. Yeah. I yeah. wanted just to quickly ask what brought you back on to the path? Was Be- that like a specific? Because I was in the depths of despair after my uh, wife left me. But 
I'm being even more specific. Like that could have brought you to fucking Hinduism. That could have brought. No, you I'm to, a Catholic. You so you always knew in your blood that you are a Catholic. I'm a Catholic. That was the place. That was your home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you thought if there's going to be meaning anywhere, you I wouldn't walk. I, I'm a Catholic. I wouldn't okay. walk into a Protestant church if I was looking for God, let alone a Hindu one. Okay. Temple. Yeah. Whatever it is, yeah. you know, into a into a Swami's fucking tent. Yeah. So it was my great uh, fortune, I think, that I was born Catholic. Mm-hmm. So I was able to go back to that. Uh, you weren't born. You weren't brought up Catholic. It's, it's, it's complicated. I mean, I, I actually attended Catholic school. Mm-hmm. My grandmother is Maltese, so she's she's quite Catholic. But both of my parents are just non-religious, mm-hmm. right? If if not atheist. Uh, but my parents' excuse was they actually baptized me Catholic when I was a kid because okay. they wanted me to go to a good school. Right. Um, but I never really considered myself religious. I never attended mass with the family. I did attend mass with my, but I never saw that mass with my grandmother. But by the time I could think, I was already becoming not just a religious but anti-religious. Mm. I thought the whole thing was fucking nonsense. Mm. Um, so, in in a sense, on paper, yes. But in practice and actually living through it, no, not really. Um, so the Catholicism thing for me was more like I walked through the destitution of this this uh, millennial hedonism with all of the liberal uh, nonsense that I was fed as, as a child. Realized that was woke exactly, and basically knew that that was leading towards nihilism and nonsense. And philosophy was teaching me that too. Um, and at a certain point in time, that the scales broke away and the only option I felt I had was not only towards meaning but towards truth and no, it's obvious that I eventually came to, to Christ and his church because he is the truth yeah yeah, exactly yeah same kind of journey yeah my whole my whole stick my whole writings on my blogs over the last 15 years have all been towards truth yes that's all all I'm interested in yeah um, and in that sense it's fascinating to me that so many parts of the uh, manosphere came back to Christianity different forms orthodoxy Catholicism sedevacantism um, but just about just about everyone mm. I think Rollo hasn't gone there but he wrote a book about religion i haven't read that book mm-hmm. but from what i understood it's an examination of religion it doesn't sound like he is religious per se yeah i could be wrong correct it. me in the comments if i'm wrong on that because since he stopped writing i don't i don't follow rollo because i don't i don't listen to podcasts or you know youtube videos that go over 20 minutes Unless they're talking about Fender guitars, and then then I will. Um, but uh, it's uh, it's interesting how, yeah, so much of the manosphere went towards Christianity, and it was a natural it was a natural progression. Yeah, it was a natural it was a natural path. It was a natural, and it's not an. I wanted to say ending, but that's not technically true because we're still. Well, all of us, even by this point, are still figuring. We're stuff still, out. we're still, we're, we're still, still figuring it out. Yeah, and even if we've come to God, we're still trying to get Him to guide us towards yeah. the, the truth, capital yeah. T truth, yeah. which you know it's the work of a lifetime, isn't it? Um, and the only thing I will say to that, from personal experience, is that I found um, amongst the SETI churches, for example, that I visit, um, another consistent thing is that um, almost all the SETIs I know, and all the devout Catholics I know, and actually all the serious Christians I know. 
for example, didn't buy into the, the COVID bullshit. Yeah. And this consistent characteristic between all these people you've mentioned is primarily, I want to know what the truth is. Mm. And that's been the uh, that's been the grounding for their journey to all these places. And Jesus Christ is and truth. Jesus, exactly, exactly. And uh, that's Bruce, the primary Bruce Charlton talks about litmus tests. Mm. So, and climate change is a good example of a litmus test. Do you buy into the bullshit or do you recognise it? Mm-hmm. Do you see through it? Mm-hmm. Um, COVID, of course, was... A litmus test par excellence. Yeah. <laughs> um, the yeah. Russia-Ukraine um, special military operation yep. is the latest form of that. Yep. Um, so... Um, no, I'm seeing people pass that test who didn't pass the COVID test. Well, it, the thing is, is that people, it's all a stage of growth. Yeah? Exactly. There were tests that I failed back in my well, yeah. young adult years, yeah, yeah. you know? And, you know, and that's we, why... we say, for example, that liberalism and feminism was a test... That's why COVID's so, so diabolical. Yeah. Because if you failed the COVID test, it means you got the gunk shot in your arm. Yeah, it's actually had a physical detriment to you, yeah, 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 genetically yeah. speaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, tick, it's tick-tock, tick-tock. Yeah. Uh, it's ticking away there. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, that's why that's so diabolical. Mm. Um, mm. If uh, I look back at the at the litmus tests that I failed in my earlier years, to be honest, there weren't that many because I've always been a contrarian. Mm. Um, but I never had one that had a physical uh, consequence mm. for me mm. like that. Yeah. But you know, you know. Anyway. Uh, okay. Good. That'll do. Tony, thanks for coming along. No, my pleasure. Um, plug your stuff. Yep. Uh, well, like I say, my um, my podcast is the TVC podcast. Where do they find it? Uh, it's on Spotify and it's on Apple Podcasts and it's on Google Podcasts. And also, I've got a YouTube channel, which is just TVC. Um, <clears throat> so if you type in the TVC podcast to YouTube, it should come up. I, 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 I'll, I'll put in links. I'll yeah, put in links. I'll put in links. And then obviously, if you want to find my books, I just use my full name, which is Tony VC Low, spelled L-O-W-E. Okay. Um, and that will show you the books I've written as well. Cool. cool. All right, Tony, thanks for coming and hanging out. Um, this has been another outstandingly fascinating episode of the Pushing Rubber podcast, the podcast that everyone listens to who doesn't listen to podcasts. Um, so you can buy my books, of course, Pushing Rubber Downhill, Rudd and Guts, Pull Cones. Um, and yeah, Christmas coming up. So you need to buy them as gifts mm. for the people in the love in your life that you agape mm-hmm. and people in, in your life that you agape. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and um, so it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from him. Yep. And God bless you all. And uh, yeah, um, I've got my equipment back now. So this will be more of a semi permanent thing. Thanks very much, guys. Ciao.